want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about opposition today. We don't really like opposition. If I was to have you raise your hand, how many of you like opposition, you would probably say, no, I don't like it. And uh, how are we supposed to respond when we are in opposition? Is there really any hope? Is there any directives from the Word of God that will help us during times of opposition? And, and how, are, how are the Christians supposed to respond? I really believe that this is one of the greatest writings of the Apostle um, Paul and to the church of Ephesus. And, uh, but I, I, just to give you a little bit of an understanding of where I'm going, I want to give you a story that during the, the fierce part of the Civil War battle, one Union company was fighting under the hail of bullets to take a strategic hill from the Confederacy. And after making the process halfway up the hill, the weary soldiers became discouraged by the constant barrage of being, uh, and then they began to retreat back down the hill. Then they noticed that their standard bearer, who carried the company flag, refused to fall back. Standard bearer's job was to hold the flag over the territory occupied by his army. Bring the standard back down, one of the soldiers said. Bring it back to us. Bring that standard down here. But despite the fact that the cannons were still exploding around him, this courageous soldier decided to be unwilling to yield an inch. And he called back behind him, No, you come to where the standard is. Inspired by the, the bravery of their comrade, the Yankees renewed their effort, and then they took the hill. I thought about that, and too many of God's soldiers, I think, today are holding hands. Too many of the soldiers of God are trying to call the, the standard down and bring us back to where we were years ago. And I really believe that God is calling us to stand right now like never before. I believe that it's getting more evident that we are in a spiritual battle and the war ultimately really is an intangible one. It's not a tangible war. And so he confronts that, and he uses that in the Scripture. He teaches us a little bit more concerning it. Look at the first verse, if you would, uh, there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word finally here it really is not the word like, I don't have anything else to write, so I'll finally give this to you. That word finally in the Greek means furthermore, or moreover, if you would, my brethren, I love that when he calls us his brothers, and Paul is my brother in the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in the power, that word is interesting because it really means the greatness of God, in the greatness of God, that we ought to stand then and put on the whole armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the first thing that we want to do is to take a look, I think, of this particular conflict, the spiritual battle, and where it all began. I think it ends in the, in the book of Revelation, began in the book of Genesis, and kind of gives us a little bit more of an understanding. The book of, uh, was written by John, and the words were written by John in Revelation chapter 12. There are a few verses there I want to read to you, talking about this vicious battle. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I think there are additional passages that we can look at and remember that Satan was actually cast out of heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 16, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weak the nations, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt the throne above the stars of God, and I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, the Bible says, and the sides of the pit. They shall see thee, and they shall, shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, and did shake the kingdoms? I think it's important for us to remember that even though we know that God is upon his throne, there still is a Satan that is live and well also. And he is trying to deceive even you. He's trying to attack the church. He's trying to attack the, 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 the pastors and the leaders of churches. And he's doing a good job and doing a number on the church today. And I want you to know that the greatest thing that we can ever do is remember that until Jesus comes, we need to stand fast in the Lord. And we need to continue to remain and abide in him until he comes. And if you're not ready to see Jesus, you better get ready today because he could come before the sermon's even over. I want you to be encouraged today and not discouraged because there are people that still want to stand for what is right. They still want to preach the truth. They still want to be involved with the church, with the things of God. They're still desiring for their, for people to go forward. I love what the Bible says in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, our Lord, has overcome the darkness and death. This gives us hope that we can too. I love it in the scriptures because it talks about how the Christians go to sleep. Uh, how Stephen there, they stoned him. Remember, I said it last week, talked about how he's rocked to sleep. But Stephen actually died there. He was, he, he, the Bible says very clearly that he went to sleep. And that's what it's like. My father, who's 80, going to be 84 years old, was talking about how he passed out recently and his head hit the TV tray in front of him and he was out like a light, woke up again. And he said, Dean, is that what it's going to be like when I die? You know, being 83 years old, 84 years old, you're thinking about those things. And I, I, I do want to say, Dad, I'm not too ex exactly sure what it's going to be like, but it's going to be a blessed thing to open your eyes and see the hand of God. And, and remember that you're going to be with him forever, and you're going to see sights that you never thought you'd see before. And I think it's important for us to understand these things, but we need to remember that it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of us. If you're sitting here right now in your own righteousness, you've been deceived. You can only go to heaven through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and him alone. You must be, must be imputed unto you. You must understand this. You can't go through church and go through all kinds of different rules and guidelines by some church, and you can dress outwardly all you want to, really pretty and all, all that. But if you don't have Jesus Christ living within your heart, you are lost in your sin. I think it's important for us to understand Colossians 1, 12 through 14 concerning this, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, or qualified, if you would, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I like this particular portion of scripture. I want to break it down a little bit. Some of the commentaries were helping me with, with this. It says, delivered us from the power of darkness. One of the men said, darkness is here personified. And it represents having that power or that authority or the sway. It's the word excusia in the Greek language. All the Jews and the Greeks which had not embraced the gospel, being under his, this authority and power. And the apostle uh, intimates, intimates here that nothing less than the power of God can redeem a man from this darkness or prince of darkness 
who by the means of sin and unbelief keeps men ignorant and keeps them in their vices and also in their misery and their shame and their guilt. Satan is really good at keeping the people in darkness. But we know the Lord Jesus Christ and his power is the only power that can pull you out of that and let you help you walk in the light. Translated into the kingdom, he wrote this, the same author, he says, he has thoroughly changed our state, brought us out of the dark region of sin and impiety and placed us into the kingdom under the government of his dear son, the son of his love, the person whom in his infinite love he hath given to make an atonement for the sin of the whole world. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you that you can go to heaven. You can, he died for you so that you can live on this side of heaven and live in the joy and the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ will give you. But sometimes when we go through difficulties and, 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 and confrontations, I think facing confrontation is something that um, there are certain people that do that really good, and there's some people that can't do it very well. And uh, one time I was walking uh, from uh, the Founders Center and, and going on to eat something, I think, there at Leadership Conference a couple years ago. And I was walking with Paul Chappell's brother, and his brother said to me, um, you know, that he was pastoring a church, and they ran into some difficulties, and he just gave me the really plain illustration of that, and that he'd struggled with confronting some things that he needed to confront in the church that needed to be confronted. And then there were some troubles that came up, and he said, I'm not really good at confrontation. And then he says, but my brother Paul is really good with that. You know, and how you have to sometimes confront. Now, let me just share with you that the hardest confrontation that you're going to deal with is the person in the mirror. When, when confronting self, it's really difficult. You say, well, I don't have any problem confronting people. Well, look in the mirror. Do you have a hard time confronting that person in there? Do you sometimes look and say, man, who are you? What are you doing? Is God going to use you? Am I doing things right? And sometimes the Lord speaks to our hearts and says, listen, Dean, he'll speak to me. You know, you've got to let that go. You've got to look to me. Sometimes you go through hard times and hurts, and, and sometimes you go through depressing times perhaps a little bit. But God is there for you, and he will strengthen you, and he will give you the power to continue on if you do this opposition. I think it's important in the opposition to remember that there are seven things that are actually wrapped into this, and I want to bring those to you. I think it's right here in the text. If we look at verse number 10 again, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He's saying our contention is not with people. It's our own heart, our own pride, our own souls. And the spiritual warfare, the, the, the war that we can't see, and that the conflict is strong today. There is a lot of things going on that we don't see. And if we saw everything, we'd be discouraged. But we have to remember that our hope is on the throne. And God is there. And everything's just fine. I talked to him this morning. He is just doing great. He, he cannot wait to, to see you someday. And I know it's important for us to look to the Lord for this. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... I think it's important for us to know that, that Christians, it's not a sissy thing to stand. It's, 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 a, it's a strong thing to stand. And I think if you have morals and you have desires to do what is right, you are, and God are the majority. Remember that God is on your side. 
And remember, too, that the armor that you take on yourself, there, there is no armor for the back, by the way. You're not protected. If you go ahead and run, you run, you're on your own. But I really believe God wanted us to face the opposition. And in facing the opposition, Paul gives us seven pieces of the armor. And I want to help you with those armor pieces and explain those this morning. But I really believe that what's, what's more important is, is why he gives it to us. Look at the first one, if you would. It's found in verse number 14. Stand there for having your loins girt about with truth. So when we're talking about truth, that we're supposed to have be girdled with truth, what does that mean? And why, why are we supposed to be girdled with truth? Let me just share with you, first of all, I really believe this is dealing with the person's or the believer's integrity. God wants us to live with integrity. That means doing right when no one's watching. You can do good right now and while you're on church grounds, but when you're out of the church ground, do you turn on the wrong radio station? Do you, do you go the wrong direction? I'm not trying to accuse you today. I'm not trying to be mean. Listen, I've lived in churches and I've heard a lot of preachers. And so many times we focus on the negative. Do you realize how important your integrity is to this sin-cursed world? They're looking for people with integrity. Now, some will try to take your integrity and make fun of you just because you stand for what's right and what is true. And if you're not willing to stand for, for what is right and what is true, God doesn't want you in his army. If you're going to give in, I think it's important for us to understand the sickness of this culture. President Biden says it best. He's constantly compromising and consensus. That's where they're at. Compromise and consensus. The Bible doesn't have compromise and consensus. The Bible has no, you do what God says or that's going to, you know, God said it, that settles it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to live it. Amen? Okay, also dealing with this whole thing about consensus. Well, let's just raise our hands and see what you're going to believe. You know. I mean, I couldn't even stand being in a school board meeting. I'd be pulling my hair out. Think about these people. They're just doing whatever they think. Should we give lunches to everybody all the time? Yeah, I think we should do that. You know what? We are so, so mixed up because we think that those that don't work need to eat. Now, listen, I'm compassionate. We feed people here every single Friday night. But let me tell you, for every single person that hears me today and your body is able, you need to get out and work. Honestly, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. This country was built upon hard work. And, and by the way, you can do something. Why don't you just put a vest on and smile at people as they walk into Walmart? Just pull your mask down and smile and put it back up again. There's something that you can do or be active at the church, work, and God's going to bless you for your work. God used work, and he always called men that worked hard. God didn't, use, didn't play games. The believer's integrity. The military girdle, though, was worn about the waist. The sword and dagger was suspended from it. So as girding up the loins denoted preparation for the battle or active for the battle. And so when you're talking about girding up your loins, you were talking about running or being in the battle or being in the fight. The girdles were used as pockets, and they still are among the Arabs today. They'll fold and crease their, their, uh, 
their garments today to fold them back for their little purses and keep their wallets in there and so on. But in addition to that, the Nelson Study Bible says that the belt was hung of strips of leather to protect the lower body, of course, somewhat. Matthew Henry went on to say that the belt that girds on or secures all the other pieces of the armor. The truth should cleave to us as a belt cleaves to our body. I, this morning I put my belt on and I always know when I've overeaten because there's a couple extra holes left that I could use. Um, my goal is to get the, all those holes gone and just be a little thinner. I think it's important for us around the holidays to be careful that we don't, you know, because we're real quick to talk about the alcoholic, but we don't talk about the person who overeats too much, do we? We're not going to go there. But we need to be careful. It's so hard, isn't it, with all that pumpkin spice around? Yeah, pumpkin, pumpkin spice donuts. Can you imagine they make those? Yeah, there's three for $1.29. You get them in. Get him in. Quick trip. But the truth really cleaved to us as the belt cleaves to our body. And so the spiritual significance here is that God does not simply want us to point at the truth. He wants us to wear the truth. He wants us to have it wrapped around us. He wants us to be able to hang everything from the truth. Not only does the belt hold everything in place, but it also serves to carry the sheath that holds the sword of the Spirit and get the ready access. And some people have the sword of the Word of God ready, and some people will carry a Bible with them. Some of you have a New Testament on you right now. Some of you have a whole Bible with you. The truth is the baseline or the foundation of the Christian life. You have been brought out of the lie and into the truth. And those that are walking in the truth, you, it just bothers you so much when you see a lie. That's why it's so hard to watch CNN. It's difficult. I'm, I don't like the way that they're actually changing the thinking of, of the Americans. They're, 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 they're deceiving people, and they're, they're causing people to, be, to have lack of hope and to think that the government's going to help them and, and so on. And we've got to be careful, those that are in the light. And by the way, if you don't like the way things are in the culture, then you be salt and you be light. You live for God. You be holy. You keep your integrity. The Bible is true. The Bible says in 2 John chapter 1, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwells in us, and shall be with us forever. Did you know that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He lives within you. You've been a partaker of the divine spirit that lives within you. You have the truth living within you. And you can walk in the truth. You can tell the truth. You can live the truth. God wants you to live in the truth. Amen. And having that belt is the first thing he mentions here. He mentions your integrity. Doing right when nobody's watching. It's easy for us to do right when people are watching us. I believe also is talking about something else here in verse number 14. Your loins girt about with the, with the truth, but also having on the breastplate of righteousness. This is not the believer's integrity. This is the believer's purity. So we're dealing with being pure, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was an important article of defense that protected the front torso of all the vital organs from the mortal wound. And by the way, there are people that don't have the breastplate of righteousness and they are wounded in the heart and they will be sick and they will curse people and they will be bitter their whole life until Jesus comes in and gives them a new heart. If your heart's been broken and you're not saved, then come to know the Lord. 
Jesus Christ will change your heart. And if you're saved and you've been broken in the heart, God will help you, that wounded heart, and bring you back to where you need to be. He's the desiring to, that you would come to Him. It was often composed of a solid piece of metal. It could also contain numerous small pieces that were sewn into the cloth or, or leather that overlapped uh, much like scales of fish. Uh, these scales could number from 700 to 1,000 per coat. And so then when the sun shone directly on these little small pieces of armor, it could become very hot. And so it avoided uh, from being burnt. They would always wear uh, an under-sturdy robe, under uh, undergarment, if you would. I think that's really what, what the undergarment, uh, uh, what is there, an under, what is it, undergarment, under armor? Isn't that, isn't that people, rich people wear those kind of coats and stuff, you know? And so, or want to be rich, people wear those ones. But it, it's interesting because they're actually, part of that really is coming, I really believe, from the understanding that underneath this breastplate of righteousness, they, they wore a robe underneath that. It's significant. In other words, wearing the breastplate of righteousness is always in partnership with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Job, chapter 29, verse 14, I put on righteousness. It clothed me. My judgment was as a robe, as a diadem. And also keep in mind that the high priest wore a golden breastplate over the linen robe. It was set 12 precious stones, and each inscribed the names of the 12 tribes. And this really place represented the nearness of his heart. The Bible says in Exodus 28, verse number 29, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. And when he goes in and unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually... And so the only way that we can experience victory in the battle against the devil is through confidence that the righteousness of Jesus Christ covers our hearts and that we've been forgiven. Zechariah, the minor prophet, one of the he's the he's the minor he's the major of the minor prophets and he is younger than a lot of them and he wrote these words in chapter 3 and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this the brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre on his head. And so they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. That garment of righteousness was placed upon us as we trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior Put on them the robe that actually have been cleansed by the King of Kings. Bring them out so I can see them. And someday when you stand before God, you will have on that white robe of Jesus Christ cleansed completely because of what Jesus Christ has done, not just because of your own goodness. The Bible says in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 7, by the word of truth and by the power of God and by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Romans chapter 5, verse number 17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received an abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, 
Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse number 13, for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Can I tell you right now that someone could keep the law and still go to hell? Because the law cannot save you. The law will rebuke you. The law will show you that you can't keep it. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop lying. There's going to be times when you fib and tell a half-truth. That's a lie. And the Lord knows that you are like that, and so am I. And the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do sinners ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. We go to Jesus every single day or every single night, and sometimes maybe three times a day, and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to do what is right, because it is the righteousness and it is the robe of Christ. It is not your own righteousness. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag before God. It is his righteousness, and he is the only righteous one. I don't care how many people can dress with robes and tell you differently. The Bible's very clear. But I think there's something else here. If you look at the text, it says in verse number 15, and your feet shall have the preparation of the gospel of peace. I love this particular portion of Scripture, talking about your feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. There's preparation that goes into this, but it's talking about your feet. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this room that has uglier feet than Dean Howell. I got the ugliest feet. You do, Scotty? Let's have a contest. No, I'm just kidding. One time at uh, Northland, they had, a, they had a little contest where the women had to guess whose men were, it's like they were through a curtain. You know, we had a hide curtain, you know. It was some kind of a joke, you know. Well, I'm missing two toes, and I got a skin graft on my foot. So you can imagine whose foot was sticking through. They knew that was Tammy's, Tammy's husband, you know. But you know what the Bible says? That if you take the gospel to people, your feet are beautiful. Yes. Oh, maybe you think you don't have beautiful feet. If you take the gospel, God says, calls you beautiful feet. Because you take the truth. You walk in. It's like, it's like refreshing when you walk in. Because there's a joy there that's from above. It actually has put you above your fellows, perhaps. Because the joy of the Lord has given you the strength. And that the happiness and that joy of the Lord will give you strength and it will encourage others. And so I really believe what we're talking about here is the believer's tranquility. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the Bible, the foot is a symbol for the direction or the walk for a person's life. Having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace gives us good footing and prevents backsliding as well. And we become involved with spreading the good news. And it will strengthen us, it will save others, and it will help us against the attack of the devil The Bible says in Isaiah 52, verse number 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publishes peace and brings good tidings of good and publishes salvation and saith unto Zion, Thy God is strength. The Bible records it again in Romans chapter 10, verse number 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I really believe that we are to be people. You know what? That are, that are constantly getting the gospel out. We're doing everything else but getting the gospel out, it seems like, in our churches. We have all kinds of programs. What about getting the gospel out to people? How can you do that? Well, I write a blog. <laughs> 
I write a blog, you know. Everybody's looking at my blog. I got a lot of viewers. Why don't you go tell your neighbor that Jesus loves them? Knock on their door and say, can I tell you how much Jesus loves you? They'll think you're crazy. But after a while, the Spirit of God will settle their hearts, and they'll realize that they're a sincere individual in front of them. And when they walk away, they'll say, that was beautiful, because that person brought the wonderful peace of Jesus with them. And before you leave, you can pray and say, Lord, would you keep the peace here in this house until this person trusts you? It's interesting because we think about that tranquility. We want it. Everybody wants to live at peace. And I believe America has lived in peace for a long period of time. I'm so grateful for the peace that I've lived in. And it's been pretty nice. I remember going to school when I was a little boy, five years old in kindergarten. We had little mats because we had quiet time. I remember having over-the-loudspeakers talk about you know, after we did our flag, we did a prayer. I still remember the high schools like that, and the elementary schools. But boy, they sure changed. They sure changed. But you know, the schools haven't changed. The people have. The people have. I really believe there's another thing mentioned here. Look at the Bible, if you would, verse number 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Wow, the shield of faith. That's the believer's certainty. See, the warrior's shield was his first line of defense, usually made of wood or bronze, and it was often big enough to protect the whole body when the soldier crouched down under the hail of arrows. And likewise, faith in Christ's blood is our first defense to great, the great, against the great accuser. The enemy is constantly firing flamey arrows and carnal, of carnal desires toward us. The purpose of this shield of faith was to deflect the fiery darts of the enemy and prevent them from ever making contact. And multitudes of Christians fall on the battlefield and fail to overcome evil because they wait until they are immersed with the fires of temptation before making an effort to resist. And at that point, it is often too late. And as soon as they recognize a fiery dart sailing toward them, they need to take hold and place the shield of faith up and do everything in their power to stay behind it until the arrows stop. As much of the defense as possible between you and the temptation. If we yield without fight, we, in reality, are inviting temptation. The shield was not held loosely in the hand of the soldier. No, it was tied firmly and strapped to the forearm. He would hold it with his whole hand and his whole arm to resist the mighty blows that were coming time and time again against his shield of faith. Dear Christian, I know what it's like to have those fiery darts. I know what it's like to have the constant temptations. I know what it's like to have the afflictions and the, the, the adversities of life. And sometimes they come more greater when you're older than when you're younger. But as God has prepared you, he strengthens your arm. He wants you to be able to lift up that shield of faith. I think it's interesting as we look a little further in that particular verse, it says in verse number 17, and, and look, look at verse 16 again, above taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. There's so many illustrations I could give concerning that, but let's keep moving. And take the helmet of salvation. I love that. That's the believer's sanity. 
Boy, we need sanity today. You know, if you're a born-again Christian and you don't live for God, you become really weird to the world. Because you're saying one thing and living another thing. They're watching you and they're seeing the inconsistency of somebody. And if you're not careful, you can do harm to the cause of Christ. Well, there's those people again that go to Grace Baptist. You know how they live. You know, that's not a good, healthy thing. And remember that the sanity is so important. The helmet was obviously worn to protect the head and the brain from damage. The helmet was made of bronze and and equipped the pieces of armor and were especially uh, made to protect the cheeks and the jawbone. It was extremely heavy that the interior of the helmet was lined with a sponge to lessen the weight of the helmet on the head. And this piece of armor was strong that the heavy, that that, uh, nothing could pierce it and, and a hammer couldn't get through it. It was strong enough to keep the even the blows of a sword. The armor of God includes the helmet of salvation to protect the mind from the thoughts that may hinder the assurance of salvation. No insurance, no confidence for the battle. Let me just share with you that if you're born again and not living for God, you don't have much assurance. You don't have much confidence. Man, there was a day when you walked with a step. Man, you did what was right. You were like, I'm I'm a born-again Christian. And then pretty soon you began to do things when no one's watching, and then pretty soon you get getting weak. It's like you walk into a place and you're not as strong as you used to be. I can tell you that you've got to protect your brain. What you think about creates how you feel, and how you feel determines where you're going. And feelings are important. They are important, but your brain is so awesome. I mean, it weighs about two and a half pounds. Some of you have a little less, maybe a half a pound, maybe. Just a thought. I don't know why I said that. Some of you have maybe a five-pound brain. I don't know. But there's 10,000 little electrodes that go off the brain, and then there's like 12 trillion off of those. So it's like 120 trillion nerve endings that go everywhere. And then there are those that say that there's not an intelligent design. You know, It's like the doctor that came in and saw me the other day. He had two masks on and a shield. I said, I'm not going to trust any doctor with two masks on and a shield. If you're that scared that you're going to get something that's going to kill you, then I don't want you around me because my God is greater than anything. And by the way, you can't, you can't scare me with death anyway. I may have to give my head for life. You never know. I'm going to stand for the truth of the word of God till he comes. But I know what I need to protect with the helmet of salvation and the assurance that God gives to us, that he saves us and he keeps us. Someone came to me recently, well, I don't really necessarily believe what you believe there at that church. Well, you just keep going the direction you're going then. We're going to believe what the Bible says. And I believe that you're sealed until the day of redemption. I believe that once you have been written in the Lamb's book of life, nothing can take you out of that. God himself could do it, but he will not because he will not go against his covenant. He will not go against his promise. For all that have come to him... Nobody in hell is going to say, I came to Jesus and he rejected me. Every person that comes to Jesus, he will save. Period. And he will save forever. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, 
but obtained salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. But I think something else is mentioned here. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look, if you would, at verse 17, that take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the believer's authority. This is my authority. Remember, they came to Jesus and said, what authority do you have to come and teach all these things? And he said, I'll tell you something. Who gives you the authority to do what you're doing? You see, Jesus wasn't some little pansy walking around, looked like he's some blue-eyed little prissy with long hair. No, our God, he had, he had piercing eyes. The Bible explains what his eyes look like. If we just read the Bible, we'd see what Jesus' eyes look like. They're on fire. I can imagine what it was like to look into his eyes. In John chapter 5, a man looked into his eyes and he said to him, do you want to get better? Do you want to be made whole? Well, of course I do. Then stand, take up thy bed and walk. The piercing eyes of our Lord Jesus. He was strong. He knew what he believed. And I know what I believe in. I believe in a Jesus that saved me and he'll keep me. But I must remember that part of the armor is keeping the word of God. This is my authority. By what authority do you preach the word of God? By what authority do you think you have? By the authority that comes from the almighty God of heaven. It's right here. The sword, of course, was the most common weapon in battle. This is the believer's authority also. Indeed, the sword appears 449 times in the scriptures. And the other... uh, Arsenal, of course, it was were mentioned, but this is the defensive in nature. The other ones weren't. The sword is primarily an offensive weapon. In fact, the sword, uh, the word of God, is what Jesus used against the devil when he was tempted. And really, what was given to the beast in Revelation chapter 13 is a deadly wound that went to the beast. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, Jesus said. I think it's important for us to remember that the word of God can pierce. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. That's why it's so important for us to read the word of God. And then again again in Revelation 1.16, the Bible says, he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. The two edges of the Spirit's sword are the two witnesses of God's Word, the New and the Old Testament. It's also called the two-edged sword because it is used against the enemies and for personal use, like the Philippian jailer. We must be ready always with the Word of God. Ancient soldiers also used their swords for cooking, splitting for kindling and for the fire, and for cutting ropes, and for cutting those free that were bound, the Word of God is being used. The Word of God is the practical tool for every area of life, as well as fighting the devil. The Bible times, there was no stainless steel. The sword, unused, became rusty, dull, and pitted. The swords were kept clean by frequent use, by honing them against the stone. My sons used to have their own company, and they used 
the knives quite a bit. They had their own skinning business with animals and so on, and they know what I'm talking about as far as keeping the edge sword. And so also if you have become dull, and by the word, if you, way, if you become dull with the word of God, you're going to start drifting in the wrong direction. But I want you to see the last thing here. I love this. and We're all through. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto. So praying and watching with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You're really only going to be as strong as your prayer life. How is your prayer life? You say, well, pastor, I'm not that well. This verse, to the different kinds of prayer, is performed in public and in the family and in the closet and business on the way. We just prayed before we came in here. I was praying for each of you before I got to the church. All those are necessary to the genuine Christian and to whose heart is right with God will faithfully, intensely pray. This is the believer's intensity. Why are you so intense? Because I've touched the heart of God through prayer. You can touch God through your prayer because we worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we have things between us and God, then we need to get those things right. Is there anything between me and my Savior that let me get it right today? I want to be strong and I want to be intense and I want to pray. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. None will stand firm under the banner of Christ. Face opposition, fight perseveringly, and successfully with Satan as in his allies. But those who rely on Christ for strength and clothe themselves with the armor of God, but taking the Bible as their guide and habitually seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit under a leader who will never was and never will be overcome, they may go triumphantly, conquering on their way as they continue to shine in the darkness of this world. And God wants to give you that, that certainty, that ability to be able to be strong. It comes through prayer. This week I got a little gift sent to me. He first texted me and said, Dean, what's your, what's your email? And I said, it's graceway1998 at, at, uh, at gmail.com. 1998 was the year I came in here um, as the pastor. And so I kept looking on my email for this little treat. I don't know what it was. It was from my uncle, Uncle Joe. He's kind of a guy that kids all the time, so I didn't know what to expect. And then it came. What it was was the voice of my grandma in our home. He recorded her praying. She was in the other room She had fallen asleep, and then she woke up again, and she began to pray. I would like to play it for you. We don't have it here. It would be kind of nice to have you play it. But you know what? She says, would you please be with Dean and Tammy? It was just blessed my soul to hear my grandmother, who loved the Lord, went home to be with him when she was 94. I don't know how many years now, maybe seven or eight years ago, Tam. Maybe it's been longer than that. I don't know. Time kind of gets away from me. But I know this, that that voice I'll hear again by Grandma McCluskey. Grandma Jean, she made the best pancakes. But she also loved our Lord. And she loved him and she prayed. She said, I'm not really good here anymore. And I said, oh, yes, you are. Because I hear your praise.
your prayers. Two or three o'clock in the morning, I could hear her through the vent praying for her kids. I remember one time she was toward her end of her life. She was praying for Dean and Tammy to get saved. <laughs> she got things a little bit messed up there. But that was grandma. What can you do? How can you stay strong? Remember that you know you need to be true. That integrity is so important. That purity is so absolutely essential. The sanity is sound, sane, sensible people that believe the word of God. And the intensity, that is actually coming, of course, because of our authority. Our authority is God. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know what? Grace Baptist Church doesn't have to grow. It has to obey. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe this morning you came to church expecting something else. I don't know. God, I really believe, wanted to speak to your heart this morning. Maybe you haven't been putting the the armor on. God knows that. He loves you so much that he saved you, but he also wants to equip you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Howell, I know I'm a Christian, but I've been neglecting to put the battle, to put the armor on for the battle. I've been going through a real difficult time, but I realize it's because of me not being equipped. It's between you and God this morning. He wants to give you all you need so you can stay strong. But maybe you're here today and you never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never taken the time to really... Listen, growing up in a Christian home, growing up even in a church does not save you. Maybe you've never personally opened your heart to Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure. Would you please please pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Lift up your hand and then put it back down again after you've lifted it up. I won't point you out, but I will pray for you. Is there anyone? And this message was for the Christian. How are you doing in facing opposition? Why are you having such a hard time? If you take, put, the, put the armor on, it'll be fine. God will give you the strength to stand in these evil days. Maybe you just need to come and refresh your relationship with him. Maybe you need to come for baptism. You've been saved but never baptized. Why don't you come? Baptism is not from sprinkling as a baby. That's not even in the Bible anywhere. Biblical baptism is immersion. And maybe you've never had that happen. Why don't you come? We'll take care of that. We'll show you from the scriptures why we believe what we believe. And then we'll walk you through it. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Now it's time to show others. Maybe you just need to come and pray. The altar's open for you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. Let's have an invitation. Father, I pray that you'd bless the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.